Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil Ramsey out here at New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas. And I uh, want to, again, welcome you to our online service. Um, and uh, I do have some announcements before we jump into this. So, uh, number one on my list, we have uh, the church's website, which is nliccedarcreek.org. On our website, you can find links to our YouTube page. And if, if you uh, subscribe to our YouTube page, you will see all these videos. Whenever we make a video or any other video, it will, uh, should notify you. Um, and then also our Facebook, uh, the link to our Facebook page is on there. And, and, you know, if you like that, then you can also keep up with us that way. And, uh, you know, let us know how you're doing and, and um, all that, all that good fellowshipy stuff. Um, we also have uh, three ways to give now. Uh, number one would be uh, text to give, and the number should be on the screen. Uh, after that, you can just you, go, you can also click on the video, the, the link. That's not a video link. The link in this this video's description, right below this video, you should be able to click that and go right to our giving page. Um, and then you can also give by mail, which the church's mailing address is also on the screen. Also, if you have a prayer request, uh, please feel free to let us know. Um, you can let us know. You know, I suppose in this comment section, or also you can let us know, uh, you know, via the, the church's email or Facebook page or, um, you know, uh, any other way you can, you can find. You can probably find uh, the church's phone number or uh, pastor's phone numbers or anywhere on the church's website. Um, and so, yes, please let us know because we, in, especially in this time where things are um, so uncertain, uh, we we really believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God intervenes on the ha behalf of His people when you when you uh, talk to Him. So, yes, let us know if you need anything. So that being said, speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and pray uh, to get into service today. So, Father, we thank you so much uh, once again for the opportunity to set aside time to come together to you in spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth uh, to collectively as a body. Uh, give you praise and honor you. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time together. And uh, uh, we just, we thank you so much and we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Things 
nature made new, surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you, my past is over in you. All things are made new, surrendered my life to Christ. I'm I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you. My past is over in you. All things are made new. Surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving, moving forward. My past is 
is over in you All things are made new Surrendered my life to Christ I'm moving, moving forward Never going back, Lord. You won me to your side.
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Well 
Spirit is wanting to do something, so I'm just going to hang here for a bit. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a pre, if it's a recording. God could still work through a recording. God can still touch you where you are. He can do all things. Huh. 
So what is it? What, what, what part of your heart is it that he is wanting to touch? It may not even be a part you knew you had. greatest commandment, Jesus, he said, you are to love the Lord with all your heart. So, in order to build a firm foundation on him, you must love him with all your heart. In my heart, I don't feel that it's a, it's a fault, I don't, of yours, I don't feel, you know, I'm not even sure who I'm talking to, but it's not a fault of yours that you didn't realize until now that there's a certain part of your heart that God wants to get a hold of. Doesn't mean you're not saved. You're, you know, if you've you said out loud, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. There's no doubt about that. But there might be a certain part of your heart he wants you to relinquish. So if you want to build that foundation on him, if you want to lay your foundation on him, just let it go. Just relinquish it. Just allow him to touch that a part of your heart. Allow him to work on it. Hmm. Yeah. Now sing that with me. I will build. you for your, your touch, Lord.
That's true. The Lord wants us to call upon the name of Jesus. When all the lights seem to have gone out, when it seems like all hope is gone, we'll take our hope and put it in the name of Jesus. who is still the miracle worker. <laughs> who still is an open-handed giver.
mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe. Yes, we can see that signs are still what you do. And bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain. God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you, Jesus. Do what you do. We are here. souls astray, and he is still healing the lame, God we can see, yes we believe that miracles are still what you do, we are here for you, Jesus do what you do, we are here
This is a move. This is a move. Lord, thank you for your move. I thank you. Jesus said, my father is always working, and so am I. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for working on me. Thank you for working on those who are willing to allow you to do so. Hmm. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask that you give me the grace to speak out your word today. May it may it accomplish what you sent it forth to do. I thank you, Jesus, and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. to charge it though. Testing one, two. This looks like it's about to die. You might have to look around for an extension cord. Well, praise God. Okay. Testing one, two. Yeah, we're, we're good. So, um, 
Yeah, during worship there, it seemed like sometimes during worship you just need to wait on God. It, you know, it seems like he's wanting to do something, but he's not necessarily telling you what it is right away. And <clears throat> it seemed in my heart that there was someone out there that was became aware during worship that God was touching, wanting to touch their heart in a place that they weren't expecting. And it was like, because you understand there are different parts of your heart. Otherwise, the word would not say that we are to love the Lord God with all our heart. So, you know, there are different uh, parts of your heart. It's all the same heart, but just kind of different compartments, if you will. And uh, so it just, it seemed like, it seemed like the person out there who suddenly, uh, suddenly became aware that in their heart God was trying to touch a portion of their heart during worship, it, they didn't understand what was happening. What's, what's this? What's, what's happening here? No, God's, God's just wanting to touch a, a part of your heart. So just wanted to explain that a little bit because, you know, anyone who doubts that God still works on people's hearts today is uh, mistaken. Yeah. And during times of worship, you'll find that he will want to work on your heart. Thank you. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure my tablet wasn't going to die here. So. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles and turn, up to, turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. Um, we are talking about the end times today. So the title of the message is Living in the Last Days. And you know, this passage here in Luke is not one you hear discussed a lot from the pulpit when it comes to end times teaching. And I'm bringing you here first uh, on purpose because I want to start you off with certain expectations before we get into talking about the gritty world of the tribulation. You know, you have the end times and then you have the tribulation, which is a seven year period that takes place at the end of the end times. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, when we, in order to start talking about those, we, we need to I need to lay some groundwork here because. If you know who you are in Christ concerning these things, you'll be much better equipped to deal with the end times. Because most Christians believe that we're living in the end times. So, if we believe that, why not be prepared to minister during the end times, in the midst of the end times? So here in Luke 10, look at the first couple verses here. It says, After these things, the Lord, Jesus, appointed... Seventy others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, last week we talked about prayer. This is one of those things that we can ask God to do. We can, we, Jesus said here, pray the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest is God. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Actually, I did a study on that a while back, and that word send out, actually the, the Greek word means eject. Eject people, you know, laborers into the harvest, and that implies that a lot of people don't want to go, you know, don't want to get out there and, and do that kind of work, but <laughs> ask God to eject laborers into the harvest. I love that. Um, but... You know, again, that's not that. That's well, I didn't, not again. But I didn't. I didn't mean to focus on that part of it necessarily. What we want to focus on is the fact that Jesus just said that harvest 
truly is great. So if you are comfortable doing so, please underline that phrase in your Bible where Jesus says the harvest is great. So he didn't say it, 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 it's, it's great right now. He didn't say it's, it's going to be great for a while. He said it is great. That statement has been in force since the moment Jesus said it. And there is nowhere in the Bible that I can find where that statement is retracted even during the end times and during that tribulation period, that seven years of tribulation. So what we want to do is, okay, we want to take that picture of a great harvest and we want to place it as a backdrop for all the, the, the end times, for all the, even the bad stuff that's going to happen during the end times. Because there will be bad stuff that happens during the end times. But it happens against the backdrop of a great harvest. Which means that no matter how bad it gets, there will be harvest opportunities, chances to win people to Jesus. Amen. The harvest will always be great until the end of the age. Now, stay in this chapter, but look down at verse 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample over serpents, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I accidentally said Mix the words serpents and scorpions. It said serpents, I guess. I guess, you know, you, we'll, just, we'll just lump it all together. He's given us authority over serpents, okay? So now, two things here, okay? Jesus gave us authority in his name to trample over all the power of the enemy. And when Jesus says the enemy, he's talking about Satan and all of his cohorts. We have a real spiritual enemy but he's not dangerous to you spiritually as an individual as long as you're walking in the authority that Jesus has given you over him. And if you, don't, if you haven't heard any teaching about the authority of the believer, we're not, doing that, we're not talking about that right now. But there's a great book out there called The Believer's Authority by Kenneth E. Hagin. It is a, uh, he takes you through the scripture and shows you exactly how God has given you authority over the devil in Jesus' name. And that book changed my life. It's an it's extremely useful resource. Okay, so now... Uh, without Jesus, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a crash course. Without Jesus, you are no match for the devil. But in Jesus, in Christ, you are more than a conqueror over the devil. But what I really want you to see here, okay, is the same point we made with the harvest. All throughout the Bible, you will never find anything saying that what Jesus said here is taken back during the tribulation time. So many Christians get withdrawn when the subject of the end times comes up. It's like we've been trained to forget that Jesus has given us authority to trample, trample over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And that won't change during the tribulation. The church does not lose her authority. We don't have authority over people, okay? And people will do terrible things to Christians at that time. That's true. But Jesus said not to fear those who can kill the body. He said, don't do it. 
only to fear him who could kill the body and the soul, and that's God. And, you know, we'll get to talking about the fear of the Lord at some point. Uh, but for now, you know, we'll just, you know, the basics of it is it's not being afraid of God, but it's just living in awe of how powerful God is. Okay. But the point is that the church loses none of her authority during the tribulation. The devil can only get away in the spiritual realm with, with what the church lets him get away with. He has no right to do the things he's doing in the earth. And while it's true that we have no authority over the will of people that we're trying to win to Christ, we do have authority over the devil that works to influence those people. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about Satan working to blind the minds of people who don't believe. So the, when you're speaking to someone on a personal level and you sense by the Holy Spirit, because sometimes that'll happen, that the person's mind is being blinded, you can, take, you can quietly take authority over the influence that Satan has over them in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not saying that you tell them out loud, I'm taking authority over, I mean, they'll just think you're crazy and you'll lose them. You'll lose them. But <clears throat> the, the, the point is, is that it's, you know, in, in, Jesus, you know, in Jesus' name, I'm, I'm taking authority over that spirit of error or whatever it is, you know. But the point is, the focus should not be on what the devil is doing. That's the wrong part of the story. Jesus gave us authority over him, so we just deal with him and move on. It's as simple as that. So that we, we deal with him as an obstacle so that we can get to the actual work of the gospel. <clears throat> so the three main points in this passage before we move on. Number one, the harvest is great. Number two, the church has been given authority over the enemy in Jesus' name. And number three, Jesus said, above rejoicing over the authority you've been given, rejoice because your name is written in heaven. If you stay in Christ, your name will always be written in heaven. Man, that's awesome. That means that it's possible to rejoice because he said, rejoice, your name is written in heaven. It's possible to rejoice even through the end times and the tribulation, doesn't it? And we can see through this that God's end game, God's plan is for as many people to be saved as possible. That's his end game for this age because he's got other things he's going to move on to, but that is his end game now. His ultimate goal remains the same during the tribulation. A lot of times people think of the seven-year tribulation and they're not even thinking of the fact that, yeah, God is still wanting people, wanting people to get saved at that time. That's why he allows the tribulation at all. And we'll, under, we'll get to that understanding as we get further into this, as we peel back more layers of this. You know, um, the end times is not one of my favorite subjects. We are taking time to examine this because I have a deep belief that at this time, God does not want Christians to be uninformed about this subject or misinformed. So let's turn over our, our attention uh, to some passages that actually address some things about this subject. And we've, all we've done, we, these, these, these passages or these verses we've looked at apply to the end times. But now let's actually look at the actual passages that deal with the end times specifically. So go over to 2 Thessalonians with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you hit 
if you hit if Hebrews, you've gone too far. You're going to have to move back a bit. There we are, Second Thessalonians. And after we finish in this chapter in Thessalonians, or this passage in Thessalonians, we're going to take a look at a chapter in Matthew where Jesus addresses some of these concerns as well. So uh, again, these, these, and, and I'm just going to preface this because, um, you know, uh, most people want to go straight to, the, to Revelation uh, when they're teaching on the end times. Uh, and it's not bad to do that. It's not bad to do that at all. But these passages that also deal with the end times, a lot of times you don't hear people talking about when they teach on this. So um, let's go ahead and what we want to do as, we're, as we are examining this, and this is why I took us to the first, you know, to, to Luke first, is because I want us to have an evenly measured perspective on the end times. You know, we, we, we need to be aware of all that the Bible tells us about the end times. You know, again, because again, this, this is, I need to really stress this, okay? We, it is my firm belief that we need to have an evenly measured perspective on the end times. Now, now let me give you a visual to help you, uh, to, to, help, to help illustrate that. I mean, I'm not going to move the camera, but you can, uh, you might be able to see that we have maybe better lighting than we have in the past. Uh, we, just, we just fixed all these lighting fixtures in the room. Uh, up until then, for several years, some of these fixtures worked, while others did not. This one in particular in the middle just would never work, and some of them would only work sometimes. And some of them would come on, and, but they may not be as bright as the one next to them. Okay, so you've got an uneven distribution of light in this room. And, you know, some Christians have got the same thing going on in their spiritual life. They, they've got some illumination in some areas and no illumination in others. And even in those places that they have light, not all those places are shining at the same level of brightness. I may have a lot of illumination in the area of salvation. I may have a very firm grasp and understanding of how salvation is, uh, how God distributes salvation, how to be saved, and to, to know various things about salvation, but then I may have poor lighting in the area of walking in love. Again, in the area of wisdom, my bulb may be burned out altogether. We got, that's a big problem in the church. You know, we've got a lot of people walking around not operating in wisdom at all. See what I mean? We want to be well-rounded spiritually. We want to have God's light and knowledge shining in as many areas of our lives as possible. I mean, I want that. You want that? We've got to be, we've got to be in, in the Word to have that. Because you see now in this room, and maybe you can see it, I don't know if you could, you could tell or not, but we have an even distribution of light now. There's no longer patches of shadow as you walk through. It, 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 it makes for better vision. And if the lighting in this physical room is important, how much more important is God's light in our spiritual lives so that we can see clearly the path he's laid out for us? This is the same principle I mean when I say let's have an evenly measured perspective on the end times. Because when it comes to this issue of the last days, you see people all over the place 
getting quiet when it's mentioned because they, they've got some bright spots. They've, they know a little bit here and they know a little bit there, but they've got shadowy areas and other, other, other parts of their knowledge about this end times subject. You know? I mean, because of that, people then even get over into fear when, say, the mark of the beast is brought up. Or sometimes people start hoarding supplies and building underground bunkers. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't prepare as you see fit, as you, as you believe in your heart. You should prepare for things. But when Christians prepare out of fear, now they're playing into the enemy's hands. It always comes down to motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because if we if we allow fear to keep us from walking out the Great Commission, we have forgotten what spirit we are of. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Does that not imply that we are to be on the offensive and being witnesses for Jesus in the earth? Yes, it does. Absolutely it does. And that's what I mean about having an evenly measured perspective on this because there are many Christians looking at the end times without the foundations that Jesus has laid for us because Jesus talked about the end times. And so, like we're, some of us are walking through a room that's filled with both shadows and bright spots. That's distracting. It compromises vision and it can cause injury. I trip over something because I'm in an area that I, I can't see anything. I have no illumination. And we want to avoid that by arming ourselves with the knowledge that God gives us in his word. So, let's start to tackle this uh, subject that has become overinflated, I believe. Because, you, you know, you can, you can go to the Christian bookstore and you, I mean, there's, I mean, there's probably an entire aisle of books devoted to talking about the end times. And everybody's got a different theory. And they all think they have scripture. But, they don't agree, and, and at the end of the day, it can only happen one way. So anyway, and it doesn't, it, you know, the book of it's not nothing wrong with teaching on Revelation, but the book of Revelation says, blessed is the one who reads this book and does what it says. It doesn't say blessed is the one who reads this book, comes up with a bunch of theories, tries to figure out a bunch of stuff, uh, of dates for stuff that the Bible says you can't come up with dates for, and then try to teach it. God wants everyone to read the book of Revelation and to just store it in their heart. And then as things begin to transpire, God will let you know that's what this was talking about. Amen. And, you know, I will say, though, that, you know, and this is probably why the end times teaching is not one of my favorite things, because no matter how you slice it, you do have to, you do have to talk about some of your opinion about it. And I will tell you when... This is just my opinion. You need to read it and find out for yourself, but this is my opinion. I will tell you when it's just my opinion. Okay? Fair enough? <laughs> I know you can't answer, but just, I'm just going to pretend like you said yes, fair enough. Okay, so, uh, generally, uh, there seems to be much fear within the church about the Antichrist and specifically the mark of the beast. And we're, you know, uh, we eventually will cover all that, but right now we're just kind of talking about some preliminary things here. And, uh, you know, don't. Don't think that the enemy has not worked very hard to try to get fear into our heart when we read about this subject in the Word. 
I would if I were him. Because if he can get people in fear, he can get them to a place of immobility. If people are not mobile, they're not, they're not fulfilling God's great commission in the earth, which is to introduce people to Jesus. And then, you know, also I believe the enemy seeks to take advantage of when these things are hard to understand. And sometimes they are hard to understand. And why, why does God make things hard to understand sometimes? So that we'll put an effort into it because he wants us to put an effort in our relationship with him. And, uh, you know, this is why we need to simplify because the devil thrives on confusion. You can see that's one of his main strategies based on what's going on in our nation right now. So many voices out there crying out for so many different things. And not all of those voices are wrong, but why should the devil care what's causing the confusion so long as he gets people to take their eyes off Jesus? Because that's his end game. God wants as many people saved as possible. The devil wants as many people unsaved as possible because the battle has already been lost for the devil. He's already lost. He's just trying to take as many people down with him as he can. When you understand what God's end game is and what the devil's end game is, you can see really what's causing all of this. This is why we need to be in prayer. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you some fair warning. We're going to be doing a good portion of reading today, so prepare yourself mentally. Okay, so let's uh, go ahead and look at, um, we're in Second Thessalonians, pardon me. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2 here. It says, uh, so Paul's writing to, to this church. He says, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that's, he's talking about the rapture now. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay, so this is a quick note here. The reason that Paul is addressing this issue with this church is because uh, this church at Thessalonica had been troubled with a false report that Jesus had already come and that they had been left behind. You know, I mean, you have the whole Left Behind series. And, you know, so, but this church actually believed that they had been left behind. So Paul has, is having to address this lie. You know, there have been cults that have been formed around that lie. That's why we need to know the word. Paul is telling them, no, that's not true. And you can be sure of it because there are certain events that must happen before Christ returns for his church. Okay, let's take a look at those events. He's going to outline it for us. Look at verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. That's the day when Jesus returns. That's the day he's talking about. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. So Jesus will not return until the Antichrist has been revealed. What he's saying. First there's a falling away, then the Antichrist will be revealed, and then it's possible for the day of Christ to happen, the day, the day of Christ's return. Okay, verse 4. He says, who opposes, he's still talking about the Antichrist now, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Okay. What he's saying here is that for the time being, 
Satan is okay with people being loyal to their various religions as long as they don't come to Jesus. But there's coming a day when he will uh, take, take it a step further and demand that every religion be put down because he wants all of mankind to worship him. And Paul is saying that the devil was, will try to accomplish this through this person that we call the Antichrist, who, who will be a physical person who actually steps into the temple at Jerusalem and, and tries to take it over, essentially. So now, if this sounds scary, if, if the idea that the Antichrist can actually step into the temple in Jerusalem, uh, first of all, you need to understand that whether he steps into the building or not does not affect God's sovereignty or how God can operate in the earth in, in any way. Because through Jesus, God has already made his people his, his temple in the earth. The word said, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly which epistle it is, but Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God, is, see, so God, what God did is it's no longer a physical building. The temple in Jerusalem is just a physical building, but God lives and breathes through his church in the earth. People who belong to Christ. I'm sure the devil is very frustrated about that. <laughs> so, okay, the temple is a, a, is, is a physical building and it's a building that has not yet been rebuilt. You can Google it. There, there, right now, there is currently no Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem. So this is one of the signs of the times for us living now. When the temple in Jerusalem is rebuilt, that means we are getting much closer to Christ's return. And we know it has to be rebuilt because the Antichrist can't demand worship from inside of a temple that doesn't exist. That's just basic physics. Okay, Verse 6, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Who? The Antichrist. There is something restraining, keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. Okay? So, verse 7 says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist still. Still talking about the Antichrist. He calls him, he calls the Antichrist um, uh, the son of perdition, the man of sin. And, uh, and then he calls him also the lawless one. That's all talking about the same person. That's the Antichrist. Okay. He says in verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So that's why, see, Paul is saying the day of Jesus can't, won't return until after the, the, the Antichrist is revealed. And when the, after the Antichrist is revealed, at some point after he is revealed, Jesus is going to come and destroy him. <laughs> and just notice one more little thing here, just to think about. It says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already at work now. Mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the earth. And then the lawlessness, the, law, the lawless one will be revealed. You can see then that the mystery of lawlessness, in other words, the, the uh, lawlessness that is at work behind the scenes, not revealed in the open yet, okay, that is connected somehow with the Antichrist because it calls the Antichrist the lawless one. Okay? 
So, and uh, now, now I'm going to actually get to my notes here. So, so there's a lot in these two verses. We've already covered some of it. First of all, he who restrains, okay? It says here, only he who now restrains. Because remember we said there's something restraining, keeping the, keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. Okay, but it's, and then at verse 7 it says, only he who now restrains. So who is he who is restraining? Uh, he who restrains is, I believe, this is my personal opinion, the Holy Spirit. Working through the church. Every time we are led by the Holy Spirit to pray and ask God to intervene in these terrible things we see going on around us, every time we lead someone to Jesus, every time we strengthen believers who are wavering, every time we support each other in times of hardship, every time we intercede and ask God to block evil laws from being signed into existence, we are allowing God to use us through the power of His Spirit to restrain that mystery of lawlessness which is already at work in the earth. Do you understand that if Satan had his way, the Antichrist would have already been revealed? If the Antichrist can't be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way, the Holy Spirit can't be taken out of the way by Satan. Satan's a defeated foe. Jesus triumphed over him completely, and all of his his forces were brought to complete humiliation. It's in the Word. The Satan can't defeat God. I, I remember one time, I, I could be, and, and we need to clarify that. Satan cannot defeat God, ever. Because some people have a false notion that somehow the forces of good and evil are struggling, where God is struggling against Satan. Satan's struggling against God. Satan may be struggling against God, but God's not struggling against Satan. It is, is absolutely absurd. Satan's a created being. God created him. He can't beat God, no matter what. Isaac asked me one time, my son asked me one time, he said, he said, what, he said what would happen if Satan tried to physically uh, 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 knock God off his throne? I said, you know that can't happen. He said, I know. He said, but I just want you to describe it to me. He said, I just want to know how badly Satan would be beaten. I said, okay, well, I said, I can give you an analogy, but I said, even that won't do God justice. I said, I imagine a flea on planet Earth trying to blow out the sun. And even that doesn't do God justice of how powerful and awesome and mighty God is. Satan is nothing, nothing compared to God. See, because what we understand here is that at some point, the Holy Spirit will be t- who is restraining will be taken out of the way and God will allow the Antichrist to be revealed. He will, he'll say, I'll allow that now. Why? God has his reasons, and we'll talk about it. See, that's why I asked, you know, that's why I, I've asked that question. Do you, you understand? I mean, if Satan had his way, if Satan, if Satan could, could, could remove the Holy Spirit, he would have done that by now. He hates the moving of the Holy Spirit. He hates it when the church goes into all the world and works signs, wonders, and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. He hates that. Who is it then that will take the Holy Spirit out of the way? It can only be God. Isn't the Holy Spirit God? Yes, he is. He's the third member of the Godhead. I believe that this will happen. This is just a personal belief of mine, okay? My personal belief is that the Holy Spirit will be removed when the church is taken up in the rapture. 
See, because all this stuff can happen immediately, you understand. And when it talks about the coming of Jesus, and we're not going to get into this now, but it gets kind of technical, because there's actually two comings of Jesus when he returns. There's the first coming when he raptures the church, and the second coming when his foot stands upon the Mount of Olives, and he physically defends his people against an army that comes against them. And you can study all that and that out in Scripture, and who knows, maybe we'll get to that at some point, but we're not, 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 not today, not now. The most important thing to remember through all this end time stuff is that God never loses control of the outcome. We just need to understand that our physical comfort in this earth, while not unimportant to God, is not God's primary purpose in this age. You mean God will sometimes allow me to go through things that are uncomfortable? Yes, He will. Because there's a greater purpose. God's end game is for as many people as possible to accept his son and be saved. And unfortunately, there are people in this earth who will not accept Christ until they hit absolute rock bottom. In order for that to happen, things in general need to escalate. And even then, there will be some who still don't accept him. But the point is, is that God is willing to go to extremes to get to the ones who will. And if that involves us, being used to, to, uh, to reach them, that means that we're going to be present for the really hard things that brought them to the point of decision. I mean, God will never ask us to, do, uh, to endure any more than Jesus endured, but Jesus endured a lot. So, you know, even though we understand, and, and this, is, this is why I, I want to stress that people should not be afraid of the Antichrist. Uh, the word tells us that the Antichrist will get all his power and authority from Satan. He cannot be greater than Satan then. And Satan's a defeated foe. We have authority over him in Jesus' name. Jesus has told, uh, told us a little while ago in Luke 10, he gave us authority over all the power of Satan, even when the Antichrist physically kills some of the church, which he will, he has no authority to send them to hell. They'll live for eternity with Jesus, and they will see Jesus destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. That's what it said right here in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. If you have said out loud that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are on the winning team, regardless of what happens to us physically here on the earth. So now, before we get ready to move from, on from this passage, I, I want to address one more issue. Paul said there would also be a great falling away that actually precedes the uh, revealing of the Antichrist. So this great falling away that must occur before Jesus returns. The Greek word there is apostasia, if I said that right, which means a defection from truth. A defection from truth. And you know, while I was growing up, when I would hear this talked about, there was a picture in my head of the whole world on fire, turning away from God, you know, kind of being taken up in flame. But we need to remember that during this seven-year tribulation at the end of the end times that we, we see in the book of Revelation, 
there is an escalation that takes place during that seven years where God's judgments get increasingly intense as people refuse to turn from wickedness. Really, he's trying to get them to turn from wickedness. And some will and some won't, which is why it it continues. And, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in order to offer you some encouragement right now, I want to read a verse to you out of the book of Revelation. You don't need to turn here, this is, but this is, I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is John describing some things that he sees that God is revealing in the end times. And he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude of people, okay, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And then verse 13 of that same chapter says this, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? So now you've got somebody asking, John, who who is this great multitude that no one can number? Who are they? (laughs) And I said to them, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay? So, even though there will be a group of people who fall away, as Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians, who, who fall away, who abandoned, who abandoned their belief in, in Jesus, and we do see that happening now, by the way. In fact, some people are being very public about it, which, you know, we can see that's kind of a foreshadowing of that falling away. Even though that will happen, God also tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be an innumerable amount of people from all over the world who get saved and come out of the Great Tribulation. He said they came out of it. So during this time of escalation during the Tribulation where uh, God is sending things on the earth, people will repent. Not everybody will, but God's trying to get every last one who will. So he will continue to the end. So we see, though, that even though even through a falling away, God still makes the world a great harvest field. And that should be encouraging. Now, we don't need to know that. I mean, no one needs to know that in order to keep on with the Great Commission. Even if no one would listen, we'd still have a job to do. God gave us a job. He didn't say everyone would listen. But it is encouraging to know ahead of time that many will be willing to hear about Jesus. Amen? And speaking of Jesus, <clears throat> let's see what he has to say about this in some detail. By Let's turn over to that uh, chapter in Matthew I mentioned, chapter 24 of Matthew, if you would. You know, as I was uh, praying about this message, it seemed in my, in my heart uh, that this is just one of those things that we need to spend some time just talking about. You know, and, and, you know and, and, and I will also say that from personal experience, it does seem to me that when God talks about things that are to come, because he does, that for some reason it just seems like those a lot of times need a little bit more digestion, if you will, a little bit more meditation, time to ponder them in your heart. It just seems that way to me. Okay, so here in Matthew 24, starting at verse 1, helps if I'm at the right page, 
it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up, <laughs> disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Okay, so this is Jesus' prophecy about how the temple was going to be torn down. Because like I said, the temple is, it doesn't, it's no longer there. So Jesus prophesied, because there was a temple standing in Jesus' time, and he prophesied that it would be torn down. And that prophecy came true 37 years later when the Jews rebelled against the Romans. And after the Romans put down that rebellion, they tore the temple down stone by stone, just exactly the way Jesus said would happen. Bible skeptics don't like to mention that little bit of history, but it's true. You, no one can deny it. There is no temple standing in Jerusalem now, and it happened just like Jesus said it would. <laughs> Nowadays, like I said, there's no temple in, in Jerusalem. They have what they call the Wailing Wall, uh, which you see, you sometimes hear about, you know, because the Jews, they go to the wall to pray and to weep and to insert written prayers to God between the stones of the wall. And, you know, that wall is not technically part of the temple itself. That, that was a wall that King Herod built as a support to the temple structure, which he expanded, if I'm not mistaken. So that's just a side thing. So, okay, verse 3 here. Now, as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And you understand that the reason they did this is because when they were there in the temple, at the temple uh, complex, and Jesus prophesied in front of everybody the temple was going to be torn down, the disciples waited until they were off private by themselves that they actually said, hey, uh, give us some information about, you, you mentioned something about this week, what's, what's going to happen? What, you know, what, how will this happen? So, so they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now understand that Christ is not Jesus' name. That's a title. That is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word for Messiah, which means anointed. Anointed. You know? So, so, he's, so he, what he's saying is, is that people are going to come in his name saying, I'm the anointed. You need to listen to me. I'm special. I've been called by God. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the girl or whatever, you know. So Jesus is saying, don't be deceived by that. And he explains why when we get down to the end there. But uh, and we'll cover that eventually. So he says, uh, for many will come in my name. This is verse 5, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he says, there will be wars and rumors of wars. So what I want to put, the reason I stopped here is because I want to put to rest this idea that there is going to be some mega war that destroys everything. Or some mass apocalypse that destroys everything. Don't start to believe in Hollywood's post-apocalyptic movies. I mean, they're entertaining but that's not how it's going to happen at all. I sat next to a spirit-filled Christian on an airplane once who said he was ready for anything. He said, even if there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, I'm ready. And I'm like, really? 
Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a situation arising where most of humanity is wiped out and there's just pockets of people. That wouldn't be a good harvest. No. That's the world's way of thinking and Satan wants people to just have this doom and gloom mindset. Of course he does. He wants people to be demoralized. You could do less when you're, de- when, you're de- when you're demoralized. The Bible tells us the opposite in those verses I quoted. There will be an innumerable amount of saved people who come out of the great tribulation. It doesn't say that all of them will be martyred. They will come out of the great tribulation. Anyway, I try not to get too much of my opinion on this. The best thing to do, like I said, is to keep these things in your heart and let God reveal the meaning in his own time as you study it out in the Word for yourself. And I want to stay on this thought as we get ready to close because I sense in my heart that we're going to do further teaching on this. Concerning these wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said not to be troubled because those things must happen. He's saying these are necessary, so don't be troubled by it. And then he said that the end is not yet. Again, that backs up the fact that it won't be a physical war that ends the age. There will be the battle of Armageddon, but that doesn't destroy the earth. That just destroys the enemies of Israel who who come and attack Israel. And, uh, you know, um, I will say that we have seen, there have been wars and rumors of wars since Jesus prophesied this. That's just something to think about. So look over in this chapter to verse 36, where Jesus talks about his return. Okay, still in Matthew 24. Verse 36 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. He's talking about the day of his return, okay, when he comes back to, to, to gather his church. He says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's why I, I, was, I mentioned earlier when people try to, to, try to date some of this, these events. You can't, Jesus just said you can't, you can't date when he's, he's going to come back. No one can. Only the Father knows. <laughs> I just, you know, some of the things that people do. Now, I started reading this because I really wanted to get to verse 37. Okay? So look at verse 37. He says, as Jesus is talking still about this, he says, but as the days of Noah were, remember Noah and the the ark back in the Old Testament, Noah's flood? He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now remember that in Thessalonians, okay, so this might seem kind of conflicting with what we read about in Thessalonians. So remember in Thessalonians, the word told us that before Jesus would return, there would be that falling away. But Jesus said at the time that he returns, it would be like the days of Noah with people eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage with no idea what's about to happen, it will be business as usual, so to speak. But the, the, here's the problem, okay? The image of the world falling apart in the end times does not match Jesus' description here. And so, is, is, it, is it really, I mean, is, it, is, it, are these two, is Jesus' report and what Paul said in Thessalonians in conflict? No, not really. Not really. See, 
because, you know, even though there's a falling away, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that there will be riots out in the streets, buildings on fire, Christians running for their lives. It may be that way in some places. It may, it may be. But this leads me to believe what Jesus just said, that it won't be that way everywhere. Okay? And then also, for the most part, based on what Jesus is saying, it seems that, it, that, 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 that what will really happen is the modern-day apathy will endure, actually maybe increase. Instead of an overwhelming number of people turning violently from God's truth, which that, that, that may happen, like I said, in some places, it, it, but instead of that, as a majority, it seems like there will be a large number of people who just choose to be in denial about God altogether, turn from whatever belief they had in Him, and just entrench themselves in everyday life. The job, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the wedding day. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And I'm not saying there won't be chaos in some places, but Jesus, I believe, is showing us by this, by this prophecy that the world of those times will be just as diverse as it is now, but you know, it, will be, it will be more escalated, okay? There will be more pressure. It will be much more intense, and I mean this in a general sense because a revival can be just as intense as a falling away can be. Amen. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I've looked all through here and I don't see anywhere where there's going to be a last great harvest. I mean, in, in, in spirit-filled churches uh, for decades, people have been prophesying that there will be a last great revival, last great wave of revival before Jesus returns. And he said, I've searched everywhere and I haven't been able to find that written. And I thought about it, you know, and he's right. And it's, it troubled me. And as I was pondering that and it was troubling me, the Holy Spirit said, did, did, was it prophesied anywhere about the Welsh revival? The Jesus people movement? The healing revival? All these revival, every, all these waves of revival that happened. God didn't prophesy about those. That, that tells me that there can be a last great revival. And if it takes place during all this escalation, okay, well, let me get, don't let me get ahead of myself here. <laughs> So what I believe here is that um, as things escalate, okay, I believe that people who are hungry for God now will be more hungry for Him as, as things escalate. And I believe that those who are not interested in God will seem even more uninterested than they've previously been. They'll just be in denial. Okay? Those who hate God will show more hatred for God then. Those who love God will show more love for God then. And the closer we get to the end of the tribulation, the more it will escalate because the line in the sand will be narrower. It won't be as easy to be a Christian as it has been in the past when persecution starts. That's a reason for a falling away. If people have been just skirting along because things were easy, we live in a country where we don't hardly have any kind of persecution whatsoever, you can believe whatever you want to believe. If all of a sudden there is an increased persecution against Christians, there will be some people that say, wow, this is harder than I thought it would be. I'm out. That counts as a falling away. That is a defection from truth. And so the times will increase in intensity. But that doesn't mean that the whole world is going to go down in flames. Because like Jesus said, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, going about life. 
things will be more intense. They won't necessarily, um, you know, you won't necessarily be hiding places in underground churches. Yeah, that may happen. I mean, there's already places in the world that's going on. But, but not necessarily. Really, you've got to be spirit-led. You've got to be following the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so, understand that overall, because, you know, we're trying to, we're not focusing on what Satan is trying to do in the earth. We're not focusing on what the Antichrist is going to do. We're focusing on what God is going to do. God's plan does not change. His plan is to get as many people saved as possible. He'll still be in signs, wonders, and miracles in the earth in order to win as many as possible. And then because he has those plans and because he provides for his people, we can take comfort in his plans. Amen? So we'll talk about this again. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your plan. We thank you that we can trust you. We, we put our trust in you, Father, and we, we ask that you give us ways to pray well, and during this time that, that uh, the, the mystery of lawlessness is being restrained and we can still win people. So we ask you to show us how and to give us opportunity to speak into people's lives. We thank you, Lord. I ask that you provide for everyone, <clears throat> everyone listening to this, that you uh, show them your goodness, Lord, that you allow them to taste and see that you are good, that you provide them with what, they, what it is that they need. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to ask. Uh, reveal yourself to them in your word, Lord. Give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they may understand what your will is, Father, in the earth. And I thank you for these. I love you, I, I, I love you Lord. We all love you. We, we praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, bless you guys. And I will see you next week. <laughs>